Welcome to season four of The Culture of Kindness. My name is Nahala Summers and I am your host. A culture of kindness is based on the idea that by bringing kindness into leadership, we reduce stress, anxiety, make happier workplaces, and in turn, improve the bottom line for any organization or institution. It is a book, leadership program, accreditation, and of course, this wonderful podcast. Kindness has been my life's work since I founded the social movement for kindness back in 2012 called Sunshine People. And it has kept me interested on what people have to say on the complexities of kindness ever since. The guest lineup is exceptional. From politicians to social media influencers, best-selling authors to BBC presenters, an eclectic mix of people who all have completely different views on kindness, how we get it and where the world is currently at. If you enjoy this episode, then please do show your support for kindness by subscribing to the podcast, leave a five-star review or simply invest in the book, aptly named A Culture of Kindness, available on Amazon. Thanks so much. I hope you enjoy. Avinda, thank you so much. You're so welcome to A Culture of Kindness. And I'm really looking forward to asking you some questions about your work and how kindness links into that, because uh, we haven't had anybody to come and speak uh, in your profession before. So it's going to be a great conversation. Um, so I guess, first of all, maybe you could just share a little bit about um, your work and background, um, first of all, and, and of course, what makes you happy in life? Thank you, Nala, for inviting me. Wow, big questions there. What makes me happy in life? I'll have to think about that. But, uh, <laughs> but the first um, sort of point is I am, I'm a lawyer, mediator and arbitrator. I started my own law practice about... And the last recession that we had, uh, it's a virtual law firm, um, and we are very much um, engaged uh, with uh, providing commercial legal services um, and helping business owners, investors, property developers to um, realize their business goals and uh, objectives. Uh, My specialism is in international dispute settlement, I am a mediator and an arbitrator and lawyer, as I mentioned, and my focus is very much on helping those in disputes. So when I was invited to join this discussion, kindness is not always the the number, the first thing that comes to mind when people think about disputes. So it was quite an interesting question for me to, to think about as well. Um, in preparation for this podcast but generally um, being a lawyer people come to to lawyers for all types of reasons and mostly when they are faced with challenges we all face challenges in life and business and really when uh, you have a dispute as a lawyer you want someone that you know will fight your corner but also to treat you with kindness and understanding, to understand your disputes, to understand, this. it's a story. People often come to us with 
the agony and the emotions and the pain of whatever situation they're in. And often as a lawyer, it's a matter of uh, tracing back what's happened in the past. And to, it's like a jigsaw puzzle, I always say to clients. And I need to, to put the pieces together to find out, you know, what has happened to get to the point of where the person just cannot tolerate any more of the situation. So really, it's my goal in every dispute resolution case um, to recognise that approach, to treat others with kindness and understanding and having empathy. I think that's really important. I'm I'm fascinated by the the mediation side and how you know when we look at kindness and we've kind of got this umbrella of values which you quite rightly pointed out you know empathy the ability to sit and listen and give people time right it's it's about not judging and and I really want to talk about gratitude in a minute because you know offline we were talking about the gratitude list I think that's and so all of those things are umbrellaed under um, kindness but I imagine that many people come into the room in a mediation with not many of those things they're not able to stand in the shoes of somebody else they're really struggling to be able to hear somebody else's story and message um how how do you even start to to break that down to get two people to to come to a conclusion to have all the kindness that we we need to have more of that right as humans i think that's that's like a non-discussion point but but I, how do we start that? Um, and how do you find ways to start those conversations with people? As a mediator, my role is very much as a neutral facilitator. It, it, it's, it's a different role to being an arbitrator or a judge because as a judge or arbitrator, you are giving your opinion, you're giving your award or judgment of the legal merits. But as a, as a mediator, you are facilitating discussions. Often people have come to a deadlock by trying to negotiate directly. And therefore, when they come into, when they agree to go into a mediation, they very much have their own positions and they're very stuck in those positions. But they want this problem or dispute to go away. So they're looking at mediation as potentially a way out. Because it... Disputes, media, uh, you know, litigation is a very uh, traumatic experience for some people. It's a very painful experience. So often when people go through litigation, it can be very uh, rigid because they're only looking at the legal arguments. They don't really have an opportunity to express their emotions or express their feelings. Sometimes people, it's not about financial um uh, awards it's about having an apology yeah. or feeling heard and mediation as a procedure it, it really allows that because as a facilitator I go from one uh, the uh, the key is to build up trust quickly by by stating to both parties that I'm a neutral facilitator I'm not on anyone's side I'm literally here to, to allow you to help you to empower you to express your needs and wants. Yeah. And you set the ground rules from very early on. 
um, by uh, initiating people to have um, respectful language yeah. and, you know, to listen to one another. The, the mediator's role is really to set the ground rules. Yeah. And then sometimes uh, people are in so much agony and, and conflict, they can't even sit in the same room at the beginning. And that's okay because they uh, they are there voluntarily and they can leave at any point as well if they don't feel like the process is helping them. So the point is to help them. It's like a journey. Sometimes you, you feel like it's not going to go anywhere. Then all of a sudden <laughs> something changes and it starts to flow. And it's really because the people within the mediation are driving it forward. They're empowered. You, you are empowering them to be able to communicate the, what they are looking for. And then you, you pass on the nuggets from one side to the other. And, and somehow they come to it. By the facilitation of the mediator, they're able to communicate. Yes. Yes. It seems so simple, doesn't it? You know, having two people just communicate, hear each other. But as you quite rightly said, you know, there's there's trust. And when that's broken down, when you haven't got the trust between two humans anymore, or that relationship has broken down, it's gone into this spiral where the only place is that you have a mediator who can trust and hear and listen and do all the things that those two people weren't able to do for a while it's I mean as you were talking there I love so just to give you a bit of the background on the culture of kindness theory um, around the book and you just touched on it and I'm fascinated by that that kind of you set the rules as the mediator so a culture of kindness is about building the house and the four walls um, are emotional intelligence and the roof is the values uh, uh, the seven core values which I'm going to talk about again in a minute the gratitude and the time and empathy and all of those connection and courage and trust and time and um, but it, it's actually about, first of all, setting the rules within any organization. Um, and I use it within workplaces, but the same can be done at home in very in, in every regard. It, it was interesting when the editor did the edit on the book, she said, you have to do another one for homes, for like people, <laughs> for families, um, about kind of setting the ground rules for how are we going to behave? And so I talk about it in organizations and I say, well, we're not going to have a blame culture and we remove our blame culture through doing this. And when we see blame happening, this is what we do. And everybody agrees to do that. And so then everybody's set off on the right foot. Whereas, you know, in organizations, we don't tend to do that. We tend to say, here's the fire exits and here's the coffee machine and here's Ron, who you're going to sit next to when you work. And then we don't talk about any of the other stuff um, generally. Uh, and I don't mean for everybody, but you mentioned. And so there's a very similar um, thing to mediation, which I, I wasn't aware of. You kind of set those ground rules. And what do they change every time you're dealing with somebody or are they kind of, you have a set of ground rules that you tend to, to work by when you're 
working in mediation? Well, generally, I set standard rules, which are to communicate with respect, to talk, to listen to each other, to not over to over talk from one another. Um, if you feel like it's not working for you, communicate it. And then one adapts to the needs in the room at the time. The point of the mediator is to be fully engaged with the person in front of them. To may, It may be the first time, as you mentioned, in, in workplace environments, that sometimes people don't feel heard. And, and it's got to the point where it's become a real issue. Yeah. And if it doesn't work in mediation, then obviously the next step is likely to be litigation. So it's a real crux point. So sometimes when someone enters into a mediation, it's the first time they've had the opportunity to express what's going wrong. And often we we look at conflict as a negative. I always see it as an op- it's an opportunity to make change yeah. things. It's a warning sign. Yes. That's, it's fascinating that you talk about that because I think that's what we do, isn't it? We kind of have to put something in the camp of positive or negative rather than we take an opportunity for our own growth and for the growth of a relationship. And even if it's not quite going down the road that we would hope or that's not making us the most content that we would want to be, that in the long run we can see it as, a, as an opportunity for growth. Uh, was that kind of what you were thinking? That can be one factor. I mean, often we don't know. There are five conflict styles, and often we don't know what those styles, how we how we we can react in different. We have a mixture of them from from time to time, but generally, we have a default style in a sense. And and the five styles are competing, collaborating, compromising avoiding and accommodating and we we interchange from those different styles depending on whether we're at work with our family or with friends it's quite interesting and having um done some training on this and and and, and teaching complex styles it's really interesting to see how you engage yourself when you're in a conflict situation or in a dispute situation i don't know about you when you're engaging with others uh, that you may have a dispute with, have you recognised your own conflict style? Yeah. As you were talking through them, I was thinking, yeah, I did that with that person, and but I took that approach with that particular situation. And so it's never the same. And also I think there's a whole host of other factors that have happened in that day to you to make you react differently to what you in the way that you may if a whole host of other things had happened in the time previous to that if that makes sense so you know it's all how you react if you've just had some terrible news you might react in one way but then if you've had some great news before and then you might react to somebody in a different way right so absolutely and often when you when that person is in front of you you don't know what's happening their day you don't know what's going on in their mind you just and they're depending on how they can 
how they know how to communicate, that's how they will be portrayed. And if yeah. you don't know that person very well, then you would think, oh, this person's always angry or this person's always abrupt. Um, but it may not be the case. There may be other things going on. And when we're in conflict, you know, it's very, even though in normal circumstances, we may be very conscious and kind. But when you're in a conflict, the last thing you think about is being kind. And regardless of how much you may try to bring the calmness into the forefront, it's difficult. I'm sure as a parent, it can be difficult to be kind at times. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, or even in a business circumstance. So I think it's, it's, it's useful to really um, be self-aware and, and, and train on your own conflict awareness. And it's something that outside of, of the mediation, I always discuss with others as to how you know, to be in, to engage and to to learn about their own communication and conflict styles. Because once you are aware of your conflict style, when a dispute happens or you're able to recognize the other person's style, you can shift your language and behavior yeah. in order to um, allow the other person to feel heard and for you to listen. And it's like only slight changes. But it's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the knowledge is power scenario, isn't it? I mean, I talk about that kind of self-awareness and the whole emotional intelligence of when you know your personality better, when you know your own core values, when you know all of these things and you start to really learn about yourself more. Because we think, oh, well, I am me. And so I know so much about myself. But actually, we're constantly learning. You know, I'm a 40 now and still consistently learning um about myself and I think you're absolutely right you know when you understand why you behaved in a certain way what conflict you were um mirroring um it makes such a huge difference into into the way that you are do do you see um that mediation is needed more and more as the years go on that people have less understanding of each other or do you do you see any sort of patterns that have changed over the over the years mediation is a procedure that's been around for centuries however it's been greatly misunderstood over that time um people often associate with negotiation or with an or as a, another form of of litigation. However, the, the skill sets and the process is completely different mm. to litigation or arbitration. It's a, it's a completely different skill set as, as, as a mediator. I often have to take my lawyer hat off and switch off and facilitate mm. because as a lawyer, you often have to, uh, people come to you for advice and you're giving advice and opinions. But as a mediator, Certainly as a facilitative mediator, that is not the case. You're not giving any legal advice. You, you're just there listening and, and helping the person to get clarity in their own thoughts often to, uh, and then help them to, to test, help them um, to figure out what their th thinking is or how they pursue the... Uh, so often people don't know why they're in conflict or what it exactly is causing the tension because it's 
uh, sometimes the tension or the conflict can be for so so long that the actual cause of it has got mud- muddled in yeah. the mix. Yeah, that's that is fascinating as well. Um, you've as you've talked, you've kind of pretty much picked up on every value that I understand umbrellas under kindness, you know, in one form or another. But one that um, we were talking about briefly, or you mentioned briefly before we came on to uh, the podcast episode, was you talked about gratitude and kind of this gratitude journal and the idea of being grateful. How important a place do you find that within your day and, and your work, really? Personally, uh, on a personal level, I... Um... It's important to me to be to know uh, to be grateful to re- to remember what to 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 have that list in front of me because without it you can very quickly go on a downward downward spiral if you don't recognise the the small nuggets and gifts that you have around you and we were talking previously about you know being in lockdown for you know almost a year over a year now and it's challenging. And um, but however, I have been able to meet you without physically meeting you through the the gift of the internet. So you know, it's, it's being reminded and having the conscious thinking to be to recognize that as a positive. Yeah. I think that's very important to remind yourself because often people. I was speaking to someone earlier on, and they are. Um, living in Europe they're from outside of Europe and they're traveling to another country it's like oh wow you actually managed to fly during this this period how you know how was it you know mm-hmm. I was like I was you know it was quite I was amazed and that was, it was like oh no it's fine I was able to do it and I and I helped them to recognize that you know you're able to do something because they were feeling quite down that a lot of people are not able to do right now. Yes, yes, exactly. And it is, it's, you know, can often focus on the things that we haven't done or haven't got or, you know, didn't achieve. And, and actually we forget the hundreds of things that we did do that we did achieve. And yeah, absolutely. Do you think it plays maybe you know you're not necessarily telling people to journal it or do anything but do you think it that gratitude plays a part in the mediation process or or the process within law at all or is it just something that maybe should but doesn't (laughs) that's a hard question I think it's an individual thing. I think. I mean, it's not something that is often discussed in mediation or litigation. Certainly not. I think it's an individual journey. It's not something that. It's a self-awareness aspect. Gratitude. It's not something that you normally, as I mentioned in litigation, it's about looking at the legal merits. You're not looking at any aspect of gratitude there. And certainly with mediation, is to facilitate a dispute where people are literally not able to sit in the same room often or not able to express their needs and wants. After the process, perhaps they may go through that thought process themselves. Certainly as a mediator, after, 
for mediation, you know, you spent a lot of energy, you drive, the point of a mediate, mediator's role in part is to, to put a lot of energy into the process mm. to keep the dialogue going as long as the parties want to do so. And that takes a lot out of you mm. <laughs> as a person because you're yeah. driving a lot of energy into the into the process. So am I grateful to be able to have the ability to do that? Absolutely. Um, am I grateful to uh, have the opportunity and, and the skill set to do it? Absolutely. Mm. It, it's a choice. It's been a choice for me. Uh, I, I, when I discovered the mediation procedure, I was fascinated with it because it was so different to how you're taught, you know, when you're dealing with a litigation matter or arbitration. It's a completely different process. It's You have a different conversation with 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 uh, the people involved and it's a really it's where the psychology and law meet yes yes that's right yes that's how I would see it this kind of coaching but you're you're almost trying to come in to prevent any more discourse really and just level everything out and yeah it's um I can see how you would be drawn to it for sure and you mentioned earlier on about workplace conflicts, which is an, another area that I um, focus on as a mediator. And often in workplace environments, there are many different um, elements which can easily inflate. And as you were mentioning about building that open culture, it's a challenge for any organisation to develop that and to break it down into different teams and um, operational elements it's it's challenging for any organization however by creating a structure where it allows that open dialogue I think a lot of people are able to be innovative and creative and have that open space to speak up but it's a balance and it's a challenge and it's something that I'm I'm, I'm actually working on in, in is helping organizations to recognize conflict triggers yes yes huge just huge isn't it I mean we we think about stress anxiety that is caused within workplaces um, and there's so many things that we can do such as look at conflict, such as look at changing the culture into a culture of kindness. And they aren't complicated. You know, I, the last actual uh, company organization that I went into, which was obviously pre-COVID, and we would sat around a table and, and you know, I'd done talks and we'd done lots of work already. And, and one of the people around the table said, it's quite simple, really, isn't it? <laughs> I said yes it really is you know we overcomplicate everything I and I'm not, not quite sure why that comes from as though we we all need to be more intelligent than the next person but most of the fixes in my opinion are very simple solutions um and looking at you know what triggers conflict and teaching people about that seems to me to be a very simple um and easy way to to start change Yes, I agree. I agree. Um, however, as as humans, we're not we don't think simply all the time. We're complex creatures, and when we are in 
a dispute or in conflict, we are not thinking in our normal rational self. You know, we often have fears, we have to have pain barriers, we're not thinking in a rational way. And therefore we can overinflate. And that's um, often uh, being in a mediation or coaching someone, you can help them to, to break down the steps as to why someone is thinking that way. And recognizing is that the other person or is it their own thinking? Or is it, is it, is it a real threat or is it a perceived threat? Yeah. I think that chatting with you has just been awesome. It's like a whole new conversation for me around kindness and and law and, you know, mediation and, and everything, really. I just have loved our conversation today and we're already at the end. Um, I, I will put all the notes so people can kind of look you up and all that sort of great stuff. So people be aware to where to find you. You clearly have a, an extremely high emotional intelligence to be able to deal with this. Um, and even in your conversation, as I hear you speak, I can hear that within you. And I'm curious on, I always ask the, the same question at the end. And that is, what is a culture of kindness mean to you? That's a hard question again. <laughs> I have been thinking about it, but um, I think for me, kind a culture of kindness is to be conscious, because you can't be kind without consciousness. And then, how you uh, behave, being being honest. I think there has an element of honesty in there, and then how you communicate that, and how you portray that, and then how it comes back to you. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you can perceive yourself to be kind, but then others may not necessarily agree. And that can be quite eye-opening as well. So it's yeah, I definitely would boil it down to consciousness. Yes, absolutely. God, very powerful. And again, nobody has uh, ever suggested that either. So I love it. Thank you so much, Avinda, for your time. I really appreciate it. And I know uh, people who have loved listening to this episode. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you so much for listening. If you have loved this episode, please do share it with others. Pop on and give a lovely review, but mostly take forwards into your life something that can change someone else's. We are looking for the elusive happiness and kindness is the action that can get us there.